Good morning. It's 6.45 in the morning. April 16th, 2020. This is one month into the coronavirus shutdown. I am driving into an undisclosed location deep into the mountains for a secret mission. Dun, 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 dun. And I thought I would share some ideas with you, my only listener. I have a one listener podcast. <clears throat> so thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. You are what keeps me alive, keeps this podcast alive. It's the one listener that you are to the worst podcast in the universe. I'm trying out a new microphone that I got for $6. Well, two for one, so I got for $3. So now I have extra earbuds. And uh, it was at the rest stop. They say never go shopping when you're hungry but that's what I did I got some Lunchables and some sausages and shared them with my doggie Dora who is my loyal travel companion who's sitting on her doggy bed chilling out looking for more sausages and more ham to stuff her belly because she can't get enough food ever Bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. Scott Adams has a great way of filling in the blanks. He's like, And he just does his little bum, 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 bums. <sighs> yeah, Scott Adams' podcast is kind of like my podcast, except he is famous. And I had an interesting talk with someone from the uh, No Agenda community someone who is a presidential candidate yesterday I won't mention any names right now but we discussed uh, whether or not the assigning of a numerical value is an appropriate measurement can you assign a scalar value single number, a dollar value to anything, or is that value, should it be a multi-dimensional one? Should not we take the idea of the word to vect and say dollar to vect, where each dollar is a multi-dimensional multi-variate, multiple variables vector with possibly millions of columns for each item where you have all these different attributes um, that encode the value of that item. And how deep 
and how much detail do you need? And, you know, machine learning algorithms train, well, maybe you don't know, but machine learning algorithms train those vectors based upon the input data. And, um, I'm wondering if humans can create manually, or do we create them with machines? And maybe that is something that would be a better alternative to money, where the coin is not a single item, but it's a multi, a multi, multiple vectors, and. Um, coin network. Now this is not what we discussed, but this is my follow-up to that discussion. The coin network would be <clears throat> the coin network would be the um, system that helps train is trained and we would have to uh, consider different things, like what is the function that we're trying to solve, you know, what is it, what is the information that's encoded into that value, whether it's a one dollar value or a multi-part value, let's consider that. You know, we discussed uh, the futures, futures of eggs, or futures of uh, where the hell am I going? Future prices of yeah, egg futures. It's like if you buy a chicken, a chick today, and the chicks are just being released today. Well, we're gonna buy some chicks and start our chicken coop and get some laying hens and uh, in six months they'll produce eggs and we get red red uh, Rhode Island reds they'll produce 260 eggs supposedly a year 10 chickens you know it's 2,500 eggs in theory but don't count your chickens before they hatch don't count your eggs before they're laid. So really, you've got all these variables. And um, you know, how can you put a number on them? What do people want to exchange? So let's just put in sunlight as one of the um, elements of the matrix. How much sunlight did it get? Or how much light? The spectrum. So you've got all types of information about different wavelengths. 
that the thing was exposed to. And then you've got all these different chemicals. And you've got sugars. And proteins. And the compositions. And is that all not part of some type of information that's stored? Or that you could know about something? What if you take the whole sum of all the knowledge that you could possibly have, all the different transactions, So in the um, time series okay so let's just start with this every number if it's big enough could have could contain uh, vectors. So if you had a large enough single scalar number, you could split that up into vectors. And you could also put a matrix inside of the vectors or encode any number of complexities into a single number, of course. The girdle number being the number that describes the entire universe, so to say. Or the entire theory and then negates itself. So obviously, obviously, uh, once you get into humongous dollar values, you could encode all types of information with enough precision. But that's absurd. And it's also absurd to encode all the information about something, where it came from, etc. But let's just go into some things like what does it weigh? How much energy was consumed in producing it? Carbon credits. And that's where they try and roll, you know, a carbon tax. And all these different things, like how many miles uh, did you transport it? Um, how many countries did it go through? So you could have one bit for each country. How many uh, trees were cut down to produce this item? So, you know, so we could encode all these different types of information. And it's potentially a huge amount of information. And there's also different codifications. Let's say customs, numbers. You know, you got all these different customs codes for tracking. So even if you were to simplify and just say, okay, we could have... Uh, different buckets, one for each customs code one for each country code. So you could do a lot of codification to create your vectors, okay? And uh, 
we could experiment with different systems as to what's being encoded. And uh, let's just say that people could try different encoding schemes and they could mutate them. So we could have a meta-layer or a multi-layer system where we could say this one layer lists the uh, attributes that we're collecting, describes the basic program, and the other layer you know, describes um, items that are in there. Some kind of, ont- we have an ontology or a schema. And depending on that schema, you would encode the information differently and say, hey, uh, this is the um, information we're collecting about this particular uh, transaction, this item. You know. But after a certain point, you're going to reach the end of your knowledge. You're going to say, this is a tree. This is a tree of a certain type. You don't know exactly how old it is, but you could measure its diameter. You could measure the city that it was collected in, uh, the height of the tree, etc., the condition of the tree. And I'm sure that if you talk to the tree people, they could give you a thousand different parameters that you could measure. And I'm sure that you could develop a machine learning algorithm that would help you measure them based upon photos or different measurements you could make. After a certain point, who cares? So we're reaching the uh, edge of our knowledge. Uh, You know, we might say this plant was attacked by slugs. We don't know exactly which slugs they were and where they were born and what type of slugs it is, etc., etc., etc. So, abstraction is important for the very simple fact that there are limits to the amount of time that we have to analyze and look at things and as we discussed before the actual measurement of uh, something the measurement of something that is a uh, if you measure it in too great of a detail then the uh, processing of it becomes also endless so you do have to abstract otherwise you'll get into endless uh, processing times I do hope this uh, recording is good enough I should just pull the microphone out I think I'm going to end this and then uh, do another recording uh, continue without this microphone see how that is Okay. All right. So, listening to the recording with a the headset, these cheap headphones are actually better than without. So, we're going to continue with them. 
and um, I hope everything works out. I mean, our audio quality can't get much worse than it has been. So, where are we? Excuse me, I got some burps burping in your ear. But since you're my only listener, my dedicated true listener, um, it's okay. I'm sure you'll forgive me. So please forgive me for burping and not editing it out. All right. Got some beautiful mountains out here. And it was snowing up here in the mountains just a minute ago. Some snow on the ground. I will say I'm in Pennsylvania, and there's lots of mountains in Pennsylvania. Okay, so there's limits to our knowledge, there's limits to the amount of data we want to collect. And uh, there's limits to the quality of that information. In the uh, pharmaceutical type situation uh, or dietary supplement business, you have to uh, do appropriate tests, at least one test on each ingredient that is determined by a solid theory ahead of time according to a prescribed method to assess the quality, at least one quality aspect of each raw material that you use because of the very fact that records are limited. And you could also choose to accept the quality specifications of your supplier. But basically, you have to do a, a hazard and risk-based assessment, and you have to exclude the risks from your inputs. Just like as a programmer, you have to check and validate your inputs and program defensively. So, now if the product happens to be a computer program, Then the value, the values that you can collect on that computer program are much, much greater than that of a tree or a slug in your garden. And you can collect all types of information about how that program was created, how the programmer worked on it, the entire edit history, the work history the interactions between the computer and the human, there's a huge amount of information you could possibly collect that is available to you, in theory. Not all of it is relevant. Some of it is redundant, etc., etc., etc. But, now, for the computer-human interaction and how the, the human assesses or the aesthetics or how they like it you 
that's another issue. Ease of use, number of errors, number of clicks, the ergonomics. There's different metrics as well that we can measure. We have to come up with those. But those could also be encoded. So we can evaluate. Instead of putting a numeric value on there, we could put you know, how much time was spent. What, how was that time spent? You know, instead of putting a dollar value on everything, we could put a more complicated value. And um, those dollar values might change. And <sighs> so I was thinking that open source is a currency. A working piece of software is a currency because it changes the world. It changes how people think. It changes how people act. And your brain adapts to the software that you use. So. And because most of the software, all the software that I use is open source, then we can adapt that software and therefore we can adapt the way people think. And we can change their behavior by changing the software. So, this is where I'm getting into my idea of the Ansible compiler. So, I'm just going to talk about that because that's what I want to talk about. So, you can turn this off right now if you don't want to hear about Ansible. So let me just go over what Ansible is again. And uh, I've talked about this a couple of times, but yes, Ansible is a Python-based system that executes code. And it basically is YAML-driven for the most part. It uses simple abstractions. It's got loops, it's got variables. Um, So the first thing that I want to mention, and I'm going to skip ahead, the first thing I want to mention is that the inventory of the system in Ansible sucks. And really, when I execute the inventory script, I want to have the context of the execution. I want to know what tags are specified, meaning what paths of execution I want. I want to know what the limits are. And then I want to call that inventory script just on those things and not on everything. And I want to read that inventory. Um, I want the inventory to be dynamically generated as a param as a function of the parameters passed to Ansible, so that we're not unnecessarily generating things. So we have to work backwards into a like backwards chaining prolog type system. take the, um, the limited host name, say, we only want to process this host name, or we only want to process this tag, well, what are the hosts for those tags, and you know, pass that into the inventory and say, okay, what are the hosts that are limited, what are the hosts that are involved in those tags, and then check what rules could possibly generate those then only um, only run those 
generations that would match those output tags instead of generating everything. We need to be able to limit, filter ahead of time. So I'm thinking that um, to change how that's working. So I have two types of uh, hosts. We have uh, hosts that we want to generate based on rules. You know, things like projects and architecture patterns for those projects will generate lists of things to create that we need. Let's say that's the to-do list. And then we have the post factum after the fact. See, this is what has been created, and then we need to do a reconciliation between what we want and what we have. So there's two different modes of running Ansible. One is on existing hosts, one is for generating new information or asserting that that new information, generating combinations and then asserting that those things should be there and making sure that they are there. Another thing that I want to do is be able to reconcile the differences between cloud, uh, cloud, uh, what the hell it's called. Well, let's start. We have CloudTrail, which are the uh, logs of what happened. We have the API calls that are creating the trails. So, really, I want to be able to execute my Ansible scripts against a proxy server or a simulation server and have it generate a profile of what it would do. So, at the a proxy server, front of the Amazon API. Uh, when the API is actually executed, it generates a cloud trail, but based on the proxy server, we can capture actually all the calls. Um, so let's start with that. Then I could also run cloud formation or Terraform, which also would generate API calls. And then I could compare those three against each other and then backtrace and say, okay, this these have the same effect. Or this uh, system is not passing in this parameter. Um, you know, Ansible might be missing a parameter. And then we should be able to say, well, the town that I'm going to is now listed on the map, on the street side. That's great. So based upon what the output is and what the uh, API calls are, we should be able to... Uh, train a system that says uh, 
here's the syntax of Ansible, here's the syntax of CloudFormation, here's the syntax of um, Terraform. So that's, those are the inputs. Oh, shit. The outputs are the, uh, the API calls or the descriptions of the machines that we created and um, you know the actual resources created or the descriptions of those resources and uh, so let's talk about that so those are the cloud resources then we could have different measurements on those cloud resources to make sure that they actually are what they say they are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. this coin idea like the sum of all of the uh, resources that are used uh, could be rolled together into that coin or that multivariate coin to say oh yeah this is kind of an audit trail or some summation of the different API calls that you made different resources that you used to uh, provide this service or to do this thing. should be able to translate between these different forms from cloud formation into and terraform into uh, an ansible phone uh, ansible call or vice versa we should be able to train some kind of uh, system some kind of machine learning system that would be able to translate or understand the, um, the formatting or the niceties of that I mean, in the end, the Ansible stuff is just translated to photo calls, and it's just translated to API calls. And uh, in the end, uh, we might not even need a specific um, form, meaning that. Uh, might not need the Ansible idea at all, uh, or any, it could be an intermediate representation of a new form that's learned from these uh, different source systems. Okay, so uh, basically now we're getting into some interesting ideas here that I like.
got flow logs that show network traffic. We're going to have function calls or stack. I mean, all types of information about how execution, program execution, function calls, profiles, etc., etc., etc. Operations executed. How many registered loads? How many function calls? How many jumps? How many cache misses? How many disk reads? Etc. All types of resource information that we can collect and add up. And then you can say, hey, this is what that costs. what that function cost and something that uh, costs less in terms of pages read network calls etc could be considered to be cheaper it costs less and uses lesser resources and we don't even have to assign a, do a dollar value to it I mean we could assign a dollar value to it or we could leave it open so our voice over IP coin doesn't have to be an individual value. It doesn't have to be translatable into a dollar value. It could be a wide vector, a wide byte uh, coin. Much wider than... Much wider than the Bitcoin. That's just the store value. So here we go. That's where we're getting into multi-vector uh, coins. And each, each call, each API call, be just adding a transaction to the blockchain. And this is kind of getting into what was it? The Internet of Things coins and like distributed systems. Uh, 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 uh. Excuse me. And we're getting into the question of, you know, how much detail do we want? And that's also the question of who's, you know, how much resources will it take? And what's the value to the customer? So just like you only have a certain amount of information you need about that slug, like you saw a slug trail, or was attacked by slugs, true or false, or has insect damage, and we don't even care if it was a slug or not. So eventually, at a certain point, we're also going to have to abstract out some of this uh, computer information because it's not going to be worth it to collect it and to store it. Or it's going to be cost too costly. And we'll leave that up to the uh, user to decide what their value is and how much information they need. So what are they willing to pay for in terms of how much resources are they willing to spend on a particular operation? And they might limit that. So we'll make it uh, up to them to decide, or up to, as a parameterization, to decide.
you know, how long do you want to search for an answer? How long do you want to try and optimize something? How many combinations do you want to try? Uh, this is going to get into some type of constraints, searching type situation as well. So this is going to be interesting now. Now we're going to open up the door for the introspector idea. But instead of collecting all the information, we're just going to collect the information that the user wants, that they're willing to trade for. And we could have a marketplace, say we have competing systems. And a user is willing to uh, trade this for that. And it might just be they're willing to run a program on their own computer to get something out. You know, and that costs you so much electricity. It's like, how much electricity do you need? Mm. How much are you willing to pedal your bicycle to run the computer? to run the calculation. We're going to use solar cells. We're going to plug it into the grid. So how much energy is it going to use? How much energy is it going to use to do something? These are some good questions we have to answer. And the compiler, you know, its job is to reduce the runtime to avoid duplicate uh, code, to do all types of analysis to uh, try and optimize things. Yeah, and this is the basic idea that, uh, you know, how much can you optimize? What do you know? Uh, and how much can the user tell you? And how much is discovered? And how much will emerge or evolve? And how do we create a system that's constantly being tuned and learned? collecting new information about its surroundings and feeding that back into the optimization system. Yeah, and how much time do we spend optimizing? When do we stop optimizing? How long do we run the program? How long do we sit on the pedal bike and pedal away?
that um, I think that uh, the traditional boundaries between the programmer and another programmer, between the compiler writer and the user of the compiler, are going to blur. That's the idea, the introspector idea, so that the programmer can gain information about the program. That you can visualize it, that you can do your own optimizations or code manipulations. Basic idea is that you should be able to manipulate the program, refactor pieces of it. So let's just say code level programmer level or automations for the for on the programmer level but then what about optimizations on the compiler level what about tweaking compiler flags or feeding information into the compiler like why do you have to manipulate the program when you can you know why do you have to manipulate the source code directly when you can manipulate uh, how the uh, compiler interprets that program feed it more information add in your own passes to the compiler. And then we get into collecting information about the runtime, like what information do we want to collect about how the programs run, profiling, kernel level stuff. Network tracing, access control, security. These are all different topics we need to discuss. Okay, I think that's enough for today. I'm going to enjoy the view, and I'll talk to you all later. Bye.